0: So this week we are finishing up our series on religious language um, with another kind of grab bag style conversation. Two weeks ago we went through some of the terms that were submitted to the survey that we had sent out on religious terminology that had lost its meaning. So this may be words that you've used before or that you've heard used before in different religious settings. And while the intent of this messaging may still hold meaning, the phrases themselves for many of us may feel empty or even harmful. So we have gone through, a couple weeks ago, we did this with Laura and Lester. We went through some terms, it was super fun. It was a great fun. grab
1: bag, I really enjoyed uh, that. I watched it after the fact, yeah. And
0: we, we ended each one with, would you keep it, would you toss it, or would you change it? Um, so we're going to go through a second batch of words today to kind of close things out. So I'm excited to have Vince be a part of that conversation. I was jealous.
1: I mean, you guys just had <laughs> too much fun. Laura was laughing too much, and I just will not have it. I, I must be a part of it.
0: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Well, now's your chance. So we're going to go through great. some terms together. So let's kick it off. We're going to do the word saved first. Oof. I have a lot of thoughts on this one. Okay. Um, so I think that when the word saved, it's used. It's reducing um, your experience of a God to a conversion experience. And this, this becomes some type of like, definitive identification. For some, it's the whole point of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it can be an indicator of hierarchy when you start getting into the territory of saved versus unsaved as these identifiers. And for me, as I've been thinking about it this week, I think that the obsession that we can see with being saved comes from two different places. It comes from anxiety, mm-hmm. and it comes from a need for belonging. Okay. So the first one with anxiety, um, I mean, the the fear surrounding the state of your soul, to put it lightly, like yeah. there's all these things that just- There's a lot of that, yeah. Bring about a ton of anxiety. And I was listening to an episode of a podcast called The Armchair Expert, um, and they were interviewing this person named Tracy Dennis Tawari, And she was actually talking about anxiety in a different way that I had heard it framed before. And she was saying that anxiety is actually a tool. Anxiety, um, in order to be anxious, you actually have to be hopeful. And I hmm. hadn't heard that before. Hmm. Because she said, if you were just in a place of despair, and I promise you this all connects, this isn't just one big tangent, but if you were in a place of despair, you wouldn't have any hope. But in order to be anxious about something, you have to be able to hold the possibility that things might work out and could work out, that you might succeed at whatever is happening. You have to have that hope alongside with the very real um, possibility that things may not go to plan and things, your worst fears may come true and things like that. So when anxiety shows up, instead of ignoring it or instead of trying to find this answer like an obsession over heaven or hell for yourself and your loved ones, Instead, letting anxiety point out the hopefulness that you may carry and the anxiety, she says, becomes an indicator of values Hmm. for communities, that when we're anxious about something, it actually speaks to what we care about and what we value So I think that the fear tactics of some systems of belief that we see are actually just pointing to the really real values of a community Hmm. and even the leadership of that community. So the intent here for this one, for designating someone as saved or calling yourself saved, I think it's trying to communicate we care and we care really deeply. But it's the method of caring, and it's this, like, one-size-fits-all approach that doesn't seem to work out.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I ha- It kind of connects to things that... Um, uh, so I- I've told about my past before that I did not grow up in um, white evangelicalism, which really dominates uh, a lot of this word. So mm-hmm. if you have if you're somebody who, when we asked, you know, what's the religious language that's lost meaning for you, if you're somebody who submitted this, this phrase, saved, chances are you probably did that because you have experience in white evangelicalism. <laughs> um, and it, it's beyond that too in, in the church world, but definitely it's very strong there. And um, so some of my experience as somebody who didn't grow up in that is learning um, as, an, as like a young adult about this, this whole idea of the world's kind of split up into saved and not saved. And um, I remember learning historically um, a, a lot of uh, the language that we know today in America comes from like Billy Graham era Christianity. Mm-hmm. So the, the moment of decision when, and then you go back to that, you tell the story of when you were saved. But, but to go back further in history where a lot of the theology for Billy Graham and those type of um, moment of decision things comes from is um, John Calvin, who's a famous theologian in the Christian history for Calvinism that we, uh, if, if you're familiar with that word. And um, and I remember, so John Calvin in general is not a theologian that I would usually get down with. Um, we cut the cake a little bit differently. But I remember hearing someone talk about where that kind of idea of like being saved, which is, he would use different language because he's like hundreds of years in the past, but it's kind of a similar idea and why that was so important. And the reason was because of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this really connects, I I think with with uh, this kind of modern social science understanding of like why why we feel anxious and why we need to do something about that and this is a this is this is something that I think a, a group of people in mostly American churches but even beyond that have figured out a way to address that anxiety in a way that really worked for them uh, for a period of time in, in a similar way that hundreds of years ago there was a lot of anxiety about um, can I be sure that I will be with God for all eternity we, you have to put yourself back in a time where everyone believed in God there was no, there was no option to not believe in God. And, uh, and so there's a lot of anxiety around this idea of like, well, you know, like, can I be sure that forever uh, God and I will be together or maybe am I going to be somebody who's going to be distant from God? And the idea that we, that, that was brought in was like, well, you can, you can be assured of your salvation if you do this. And the way that's played out in America is if you, you know, pray this prayer or something like that. Um, so that, that's a different kind of in, but it totally feels like Mm -hmm. anxiety is, is, is a addressing anxiety is an important thing. We all need to address our anxiety. And I think it's okay that we have this history of Christians addressing their anxiety this way. And I think it's also okay if that doesn't address your anxiety and you might need something Mm -hmm. else.
0: And I think with anxiety, too, this idea of it being a helpful thing and something that you actually listen to really counters this need to sort people out Mm. into saved or unsaved. That anxiety lets you actually occupy the middle ground of holding a wide range of possibilities. Um, And something I've been thinking about, too, is when we think about being saved as something to come, it prevents us from being present now. Mm. In what ways could we be? Offering security and hopefulness to those around us, mm-hmm. that there becomes this deeper commitment that could take place mm-hmm. that isn't putting all its eggs in the basket of heaven or hell.
1: Yeah, and and I think that you have you probably have more to say on um, on how that uh, how those the that term saved not saved refers to how you relate to a larger group. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe before before we go there, if we can just talk a little bit more about like the. The indi- individually how I experience being saved or not saved, and how that talks to my own um, anxiety. I th- I wonder if um, uh, you you want us to you want us to do keep it, toss it, or change it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if I could recommend in this case a change um, where I think that what feels problematic to me as somebody who's experienced the term saved and 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 I don't personally use that language, so it's not something that I'm keeping for sure. Mm-hmm. But I I do think uh, I don't necessarily think I'm ready to toss it entirely because I think it it, again it's 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 an example of one culture's way to address a problem. I think what I would what I want to argue is changing is I want to be more precise because when we use the term saved, it generally means to it generally like refers to like. It, somebody's telling an important moment in their history. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, if you if you only ever grow up around other people that go to the same kind of church and believe the same way as you, you can just use that as shorthand and it, oh great, yeah, that mm-hmm. was so special. But increasingly as we live in a world where there are like people who come from different religious traditions, people who come from different traditions within Christianity and maybe don't use that phrase, someone like me, I, uh, then uh, we we need to be more specific about what we mean when we say I was saved or, you know, that was the moment I was saved. And so uh, what I'm thinking about of some examples would be like, hey, um, this was the moment I, like, believed there is a God, that I'm not alone, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's sometimes what we mean when we say saved. Or maybe we'll say, like, this was the moment I was really, like, I was just captivated by the teachings of Jesus. Maybe that's what we mean by when we say saved. Or this was uh, something I often use is this was my first ever spiritual experience. I remember that. I remember the first time I had uh, an experience where I was like in a, in, a, in a space where people were praying, it was like something is going on inside me and I'm not doing it. Like that was my first ever spiritual experience. So I like using language like that rather than saved, which the shorthand we're not sure what always what we mean. Or this was the may I, this was the day I made a commitment to change the way I'm living in a very, mm-hmm. like, like in a way that grabbed me. Um, that's more specific. It's more precise than saved. And I think that that can help with, like, lost in translation situations. Yeah. So I wanted to throw that in, like, as yeah. we're talking about, like, ourselves. Um, and I wonder if you have anything on that before before you bring us to, like, how, how that relates to how we belong.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's helpful to note this, um, that it can be event Focus. Like yeah. when I growing up, I would go to a summer camp, and every year there'd be an opportunity for you to, to, to be commit saved. your yeah. Yes, yeah. Say that you're saved, commit your life to Jesus, and I had thought I had to do it every single year because mm-hmm. like I don't know if the last one really covered it. <laughs> so I hear people
1: laughing. So I think that <laughs> you're not the only person who experienced that. <laughs> we would
0: call it the call night. Um, there would be candles and stuff. Yeah. So
1: yeah, I'm that, seeing accepted <laughs> Jesus in the yes. chat. That's that's the language. Yeah. Welcome yeah, to yeah, Jesus yeah, into yeah. my heart. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, there you go. That's another <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that becomes really event Uh focused, and I think it also it can be event focused and it can be identity focused. That once this once this event takes place, it's supposed to be an identity that covers you. Um, Yeah, and I think it's important to kind of note that this plays out in different ways.
1: Yeah, and even even that like the the uh, the power in that of like a change, a transformation is taking place is awesome. But like those are always processes, right? They're not like they're, they're not like it happened and now it's over. And so I just think like there I want more precise language of like, uh, you know, like saying saved makes it sound as though it happened and now it's in the past. But like saying like, man, that was the moment I really made this commitment to live a different way, that makes it sound like it's something that's still going on, mm-hmm. which feels more true to me than yeah. saved. So that, so that's my argument for like, well maybe we don't need to toss it, maybe we just need to change it and just be more precise with our language.
0: Yeah, I think changing it too, um there's something that is potentially invitational about this, if you do have wording that's a bit more helpful. Um, Brené Brown talks a lot about belonging. She talks a lot about shame and things too, but she talks a lot about belonging. And the way that this ties in for me, um, that in order to feel like you belong to something, Mm. which theoretically you belong to the saved group of people, Mm. you actually have to have a sense of worth She says that worthiness and belonging are directly tied, that when you feel like you are worth belonging to something, then you will feel that sense of belonging. Hmm. But it's really interesting that a lot of religious settings actually pry on our doubt of our own worth.
1: Interesting. Um, so, like, do this to because you're because you're, you're afraid that you're yeah. not. You know, it's kind of like what we were saying yeah. before uh, the uh, the taking advantage of the anxiety rather than using it as a tool. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: Um, so I think being able to latch on this idea of belonging that there could be a very invitational and hopeful way to go about this, um, that you don't that when you don't believe that you're you're worthy of being saved or worthy of grace, yeah. it puts you in this constant place of a lack of self-acceptance. You,
1: you're guilty until proven innocent. Yes. Yeah.
0: And I think that if we flip this, um, where was it? She writes, uh, this is Brené Brown writes, true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. So if we're talking about being saved from culture and places that tell us that we are not worth it, that have all of these narratives that are really negative, I think that there is a saving that could happen there, yeah. but it's an ongoing ING ending, mm-hmm. not this mm-hmm. past tense, one event, um, limited identity that automatically creates an out-group as well. Yeah, um, There's something that could be really like expansive about this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Is it still a grab bag if we just keep talking about this the whole time? We should go to the next one. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. But I feel like there's one more thing to say because it's like, so we talked about like the anxiety for a person, and then we talk about. attaching yourself to an in-group, you know, belonging. But what you just said I feel like is, is really important, and it looks like people are saying it in the chat, of, like, the moment you attach yourself to an in-group, that creates an mm-hmm. out-group. And I'm seeing an awesome uh, point made in, in, in the chat of um, uh, Joel R. says, uh, it, in, in a lot of ways, the point of evangelicalism in his view is that uh, people, like, you convert people, and if they don't pray the prayer, they are damned for all eternity. And I think that that is the last piece
0: Oof. <laughs> yeah, I know it's
1: tough. I mean, it's really tough, and 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 I think that that's the last piece that it's really important to address when we talk about change. It mm-hmm. because I think that the piece that's willing that like that that I think is is worth like not uh, why this is not worth tossing is I think that anxiety piece and like to- being able to tell your story of like important things that have happened to you significant moments in your life. If we can be precise, I think it's really helpful to talk about being saved. Like I it. it, it we can maybe talk a little bit more about like, saved from what, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's important. But, um, so all of those things are, are the parts that I don't wanna just like toss this away. But, the, but one of the things that really does need to be modified from it is, if the only way we know how to do that if the only way we know how to tell our story of transformation is to automatically or like by default condemn others mm-hmm. who have a different story, that's a problem. And I don't, I don't think that that's serving us. And I don't think that that is in line with what Jesus would have meant yeah. when we read in the gospels, him using language like saved or healed.
0: Exactly. Yeah. We keep going on Man, this Man, we really <laughs> could. We really could. Um, the next one that we're going to talk about is blessed or the Lord always provides. Mm. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Lester named prosperity gospel type yeah. of mentality with this one, too. And I think the intent here behind saying that you're blessed is connecting the good of life with God. And I don't think that that's yeah. problematic. Yes. Um, okay. that it, I am,
1: I'm grateful for this thing in my life. I, I'm yes. so I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: And how this plays out sometimes, though, is that it becomes a sign of favor when you have like right. gaining material possessions and wealth and right. things like that. For me, it actually, that isn't totally the problem. Um, If people want to credit the good things in their life to Jesus, I don't think that that in itself is problematic. We've talked about before. scored a touchdown. This example of like parking space. Like I got a parking space close to the entrance at Target. The Lord always provides. Yes, that's right. And I I don't like... Wow, to be so just wanting to connect every good I mean, that's, little that's small a good victory. Thing, right? yeah, I think yeah. it's a good thing, yeah. except when it becomes a metric of favor, favor that's used to evaluate or judge others. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's what I'm, the problem. The
1: moment you said it, what I'm seeing pop up in the chat is people are like, it's dismissive, so dismissive, that's what I'm seeing in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it's dismissive, yes. that's the problem. Yeah, right? it becomes yeah. this
0: very like pick yourself up by your religious bootstraps right. kind of vibe. Right. Um, and the certainty in it is really precarious yeah. too, that the yeah. Lord always provides. But then what does what happens when there's not provision? Yeah. And yeah. that can lead us to really spiral.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the piece that that gets at me is something that we, we often bring up in uh, at church, and, and when, we, when we talk about how to make sense of experiencing God or being a, a person that believes in a good God in the universe is when we ascribe everything that ever happens to God's will, that that's a problem, and, and mm-hmm. that, that's what's happening when we say the Lord always provides. It's like, well, whatever happens, it must be God's will, and you know, like God is good, so I guess this thing that's happening to you is good. We have to call everything yes, good, yeah. and I think I do not think that that's the image of reality that Jesus paints. Like Jesus regularly teaches his disciples to pray for change, mm-hmm. to enact change in their world, and so I don't think that Jesus's view is that everything that ever happens just, you know, it's like, well, we just got to call it good because it happened. It must be God's will. I think that Jesus's view is God's will often doesn't happen. That's why we have to pray God's will be done. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so uh, to me, the, the big problem here is that the reason it's dismissive maybe from my point of view is that when you say that you're just like, you're, you're, you're pitching a version of reality that is not the way that most people experience life, which is like I don't know, like, when, when a bad thing happens to me, I don't want to hear the Lord provides. I want to hear, like, man, this must be a time that's, like, I want, I want space for lament. Like, mm-hmm. this was not God's will. Mm-hmm. This was not God. I remember going to a memorial service once for a young man that had committed suicide. And the first thing out of the preacher's mouth when they walked up was so healing. They came up to the mic and they said, this, this was not God's will. For this young man, like it, it just and it broke all of the horrible theology in the room about mm-hmm. like, and, and and like the fear and the shame that a family might carry, and 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 it was it was so so important I think for that to be said, and just to allow for that to be true, and and that is such a different thing to say to somebody when something when something when they're struggling. This is, ugh, this this can't have been God's will. Yeah. Rather than well, the Lord always provides. Because yeah. there's that dismissiveness, so that that that's. So this pulls out of me.
0: Yeah, and I think too, when we look at the word "blessed" in Scripture, something that immediately comes to mind for me. Um, part of this bigger sermon that Jesus gives, there's a section called the Beatitudes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the list is like not what we would say yeah, is blessed. That's
1: right. That's right. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Blessed
0: yeah. when you're poor or yeah. poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry now, those who weep, those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. You're blessed when people hate you when you're excluded. Like we would never say, you know, like
1: I'm trying to think of like, you know, unless it would be ironic, you know, on on social media of like somebody hates you, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Yeah, like (laughs) we would never do that, right? But that's evidently what Jesus would hashtag blessed. (laughs) Yes, and
0: it even goes further um, in the version of this that's included in Luke and says, "Woe to you who are rich, who are full, who Mm -hmm. are laughing when Mm -hmm. all speak well of you." Mm -hmm. So all the things that we would name as As blessing, yes, yeah. I think that this um, really direct contrast I think that that was Jesus's intention yeah. to kind of expand what we consider blessing. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's problematic if you're saying that you're blessed because of a new job or a new child Absolutely. or whatever it may be and is there space to say, you know, God is present when things aren't going to plan as well. Yeah. And we don't have to do the mental gymnastics of making Still trying to find goodness that's rooted in God when yeah. awful things happen. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. Can, so can I split these two in half and say blessed?
0: Fine, keep it. Keep yeah. it, I
1: guess. And uh, I don't have any. Pro- I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Maybe change it a little bit. Like change how we use it. Um, I think that
0: it can't it can't be a metric.
1: Can't be a metric. I like that. Yeah. I like this. So so change the way we use it. But then, Lord always provides. I kind of want to toss it. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that one personally. And yeah. I know this is a personal choice for everybody. Like what, how we want to you know operate with language and what what can we say with integrity and versus. Uh, but to me, that's the one that triggers me.
0: Yeah, and I think this goes back to the God being in control piece that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yep. Because I think if it's the Lord provides presence and accompaniment in whatever's yeah. going on, that that's really beautiful. Then that really works, yeah. But it's not tied to specific types of possessions and yeah. things like that. Yeah, that's good. All right, this next one, I know you already have a lot of thoughts on. Uh, so this is, I'll pray for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so I, I so I think the obvious um, the obvious reason that this ends up on our word cloud of religious language that's lost its meaning is when I'll pray for you is used in ways to bypass pain. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a quick, easy thing to say or to avoid responsibility. Um, I I think, you know, like thoughts and prayers, kind of um, the way that we feel after something really big when we're avoiding the responsibility of doing hard work, of organizing or changing the way we act Mm -hmm. um, with just saying thoughts and prayers. Um, Or (laughs) another one... um, uh, that uh, uh, and often ways to use I'll pray for you is like it's a culturally acceptable way to express judgments. <laughs> yeah, I
0: was gonna say it's kind of this this way of calling you out. Uh, on you know, it, you know, he's just
1: he's he's just an awful human being. But I'm praying for him, and you know, like, like even, you, you like, can slide something in when you're praying for him. some
0: pray that you won't stray from the path any longer. <laughs> you're like I'm right here. Yeah, you do know Yeah,
1: this, yeah, yeah. Right? That's good. That's good. So yeah. I let's take those and bracket them and say. All of those, I would toss, I'll pray for you. But actually, what I what I feel most impassioned to talk about, I wonder if we set that aside. I think this one is hard for a lot of us, not just for that reason. I think it's also hard for a lot of us because it makes us feel guilty. Hmm. Like we actually feel like in some ways we would like to be able to say with integrity, I'll pray for you, but we would be a hypocrite because we all constantly feel like we're not praying enough, and so... Like feeling like a hypocrite sucks. So let's just get rid of this, and let's just you know, like let's shine the focus on how bypassy it is and how judgy it is. But I wonder if I can challenge that for a little bit, because I think there's a way to dismantle guilt. I believe it's a false guilt mm-hmm. uh, that that's going on there. When we feel when we feel guilty because if I even said I'll pray for you, I'd be a hypocrite. Um, I think there's a way to dismantle that guilt, and we don't have to do that by pointing the finger at all those horrible versions of this that happen out there. I totally agree that those horrible versions of this, we should not bypass pain. We should not avoid responsibility. We should not judge people couched Mm -hmm. in the language of, I'm praying for you. you Mm -hmm. Um, But but a story uh, recently with a friend from this church comes to mind where I was getting coffee, and uh, and, uh, my friend says to me, I don't remember what we were talking about, but she said... um, uh, she said, I'm kind of of the opinion that like if somebody asks me to pray for them and I say I'm going to pray for you, that was praying for them. And I loved that. Mm-hmm. Did, 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 everybody, did everybody catch that? She was like... If, if somebody asks me to pray for them, and I say, yeah, I, I absolutely pray for them, that right there, you responding with an empathetic, like if you genuinely, you know, you, 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 like you had eye contact, you, you saw them, you, I mean, they, they shared something obviously probably vulnerable with you if they're asking to pray for you, if you were there and you were with them in that space, and you in, invested in them enough to be like, I, I care for you, I am praying for you, that was praying for them. I wonder if anyone feels uncomfortable with that, like, oh, no, 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 no but, but I need to like, what about sitting on my knees and clasping my hands, you know, or maybe that's you if you're like, if you grew up Catholic like me, or, or what about like, um, if you grew up uh, in like, evangelicalism or non-denominational, what about putting a hand on their shoulder and praying really confidently things out loud that are so eloquent that just came off the top of your head and uh, what, you know, what, about, what, about, um, what about writing de- or, or reciting a prayer that you've memorized because it was so beautiful? Maybe that's you if you come from like a Methodist background or something like that. I wonder if my friend is right, that we actually, when prayer, I, I think that part of the reason we feel so guilty all the time, that we're not praying enough, and we all have imposter syndrome about how much we're praying, is because we don't call enough things prayer prayer has a really specific image in our mind. It's the clasped hands, or it's the I have a hand on their shoulder and I'm praying really beautiful words that I just thought of right now. I promise I didn't write them ahead of time. And...
0: I didn't run through it in my head. Like, it didn't six run through, times yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, exactly. I mean,
1: there, there's all of these pictures, and not to say that those things aren't prayer, but I just think we need to call more things prayer. Mm-hmm. I, made, I made a list of things I think that are prayer in preparation for this. Can I read them? It's mm-hmm. a long list, but that's the whole point. Lots of things are prayer. Okay, so here's here are things that I think are prayer, uh, because prayer fundamentally is about paying attention to God paying attention to the God that is present in every single moment and in every single thing that's going. Fundamentally, prayer is about attention. Mm -hmm. I am always able to tune my attention to this amazingly relational God that is in all things and in every moment. Okay.
0: That's a Mary Oliver talks about. I don't always know how to pray, but I do know how to pay attention. Oh
1: my gosh. There we go. That's good. That's Mary Oliver. Mm -hmm. uh, Oliver is our patron saint this morning. Okay. (laughs) So here, here is my list. Prayer can be a deep intention or conviction felt in a moment, like, like my friend. In that moment, she felt convicted and, and, and deeply connected to this person's well-being. And expressing that, as simple as I am praying for you, is in fact praying for that person. Prayer is gratitude. So anytime you are just, I'm thankful for this, that's prayer. You, you don't even have to phrase it a certain way, it is prayer. Uh, reflection, Anytime you are reflecting on yourself, you are asking good questions about who you are and who you want to be, that's prayer. Feeling like a moment of feeling seen and just staying in that and calling that an experience of God, that is prayer. I experience that with other human beings, like when somebody just sees me and they, I can tell that they get what I'm feeling, that's prayer. All I have to do is turn my attention to the God that is mediating that experience between us. That's prayer. Um, A moment of insight or like an epiphany, it's just like, oh, I didn't have it and now I have it. That's prayer. All I have to do is turn my attention to the God that guides every thought in my mind toward the best solutions. That's prayer. Um, A good cry. A good cry is prayer. I'm somebody who Like pence up emotions, and then uh, and I and I and I won't cry until you know I watch something that pulls it out of me, right? Like a a really well acted scene in a in a show or a movie, Mm -hmm. and I just like oh my gosh, like I'm it all comes out. That is prayer. So you can even pray when you're watching Netflix. Everybody, how about Mm -hmm. that? Restorative silence, I think, is prayer. So whether that's being still, I I. I default to that. I like being still in the morning before everybody else is up uh, in my house. I get a cup of coffee, and I sit still. Do I say anything in particular? Does it have to look a certain way? No, but it's prayer because I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm in silence, and that can be prayer. I'm turning my attention to God. Or I know lots of people for whom a run or a walk is their restorative silence. You're not talking to anybody. Nobody can stop you because you're like, hey, bye. <laughs> and that's good. And that silence of the run or the walk is their prayer. Being with someone when they're suffering is prayer. Inclining your attention to someone, just like I I thought of my cousin who lives in Mount Prospect, and uh, boy, I haven't seen him in a long time. I hope he's well. I just incline my attention to him. That's prayer. I just did that. I prayed right now here as we were uh, singing something that moves you, like we were doing this morning. Prayer. Okay, that's my list. I have a lot of things. I think a lot of things are prayer.
0: No, oh, I love that. I love making the list longer instead of just trying to, and I think that some of this too becomes confusion of what actually prayer is or what it does, like what the function of it is. Yeah. So I love this idea of expanding that beyond. Yeah, just, we don't even have to answer that one yeah. way. It can be lots of things. Be a lot of different things.
1: That's so that, really so this is why, I mean, for me, I absolutely want to keep prayer. Mm-hmm. I, I I'll pray for you. I think that's an extremely important thing. I think the problem with it, it, obviously, it's a problem when it bypasses or when it you know offloads responsibility or it's judgy, of course. Yeah. But I think a, a problem that we don't talk about, especially among people who are in you know who are who don't need to be convinced that like Jesus cares about justice like mm-hmm. in, in these circles i think that one of the reasons we 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 bristle at i'll pray for you is because we kind of afraid that we're all hypocrites and i just don't think that's true i think that's garbage i think you're praying all the time and you just need to call more things yeah. in your life prayer
0: i really like that yeah all right let's go to our last one here this one is god gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers that's, that's, that's spoiler alert. That's a lot. We're gonna toss it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, this one I put in here because I've seen it so many places, some version of it. So, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. I'm picturing like a landscape with cursive writing over it. <laughs> the writing's kind of glowy. There's just so many of these. Um, and I think that phrases like this, the intent. Um, if I can kind of suspend judgment a little bit, yes, try yes. and say no, what is the is intent important. of this? is
1: important. This is important. We should we um, resist. Okay.
0: <laughs> I think the intent is trying to say you are strong. Absolutely. And you are that's, capable. A, that's what it is.
1: You are strong. Yeah. You
0: are strong. Yeah. You are capable. Yeah. And that which God, is an, um,
1: which is extremely important yes. and beautiful, right? Yeah. To say to somebody, yes.
0: And that God sees that strength and honors it in some way. But this is super similar to the God is in control messaging and some of the messaging we've talked about today too already, um, that the clear issue becomes, oh, well, God must be the source of the battles then. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the really hard. And it puts a ton of pressure on people who are experiencing really awful things to just stay super positive and like sunshiny faith all right. the time even in the no midst lament. of really hard things.
1: You can't you can't go through that because if you go through that it makes it look like you don't believe that God thinks you're strong.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it doesn't leave room for the actual messiness mm-hmm. of navigating life. It mm-hmm. is trying to just placate the pain that's going on. Yeah. And it it is well intended, but this one is just super super damaging for Yeah.
1: Me. Yeah. I, I think you said it. I mean, I think, I think the idea that we can say, I mean, honestly, what I want to do is just, just tell somebody they're strong and yeah. God is, God is with them. God, God yeah. believes you are strong. And I, I think the the hard part is that we do have to shoehorn in that idea that like, um, which, which again, I don't think Jesus believed that, um, if something happens to you, it must be that God willed it. Yeah. Um, I think if we can remove that piece of this, and just uh, then we would never want to say God giving tough battles, you know. We would just want to say, You are strong, I see you, you can do this. Um, yeah. and and that that's a really meaningful message to hear.
0: And you don't have to make it sound cute either, that's like, also
1: true, yeah. Sound yeah. catchy
0: or fun or whatever it sounds fun, but yeah. this idea of some type of thematic way to exp- like it's just a mess. It's true. Things are messy and God is with you. That and is, you are strong. And yeah. none of that has to be attached to military language at all.
1: Yeah. But also the militaristic language is tough too. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even get into that, but like the maybe a talk for another day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I wanna I wanna end with just a reminder, too, that this is an individual process. It's communal, but it's also individual of sifting right. through what feels meaningful and worthy worthy to keep. Using and helpful to keep using and things like that, but then also what just needs to fall to the wayside because Mm, mm. not only is it empty, but it's harmful. You're harming yourself when using these words, and Mm -hmm. you're harming other people. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's a this. I'm picturing like one of those sandbox sifters. Um, where you've got like a pile of stuff on there and you're sifting it and you're left with some really cool rocks or gems or whatever it may be. And there might be some good things there of, like, oh yeah, I can reclaim, I'll pray for you as this really honest and beautiful endeavor. Mm-hmm. And there's things like God gives us toughest battles, yada, yada, that just needs to fall it through just the holes. It
1: needs to fall through the holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and like you said, it's gonna be a, a slightly different engagement for each of us, mm-hmm. Um there are some commonalities. I mean, I think that's why we have a word cloud that like some mm-hmm. words get bigger than others, right? Um, but we hope that this whole uh, experiment these last several weeks has um, given you some tools to, to think about the language that you um, interact with. I, I, something, if I can go back to something you said the first week of this, Haley, that I think is really important is um, how how much this is about what the language that we might use, but how much this is about mm-hmm. the language that we might have um, used around us. Yeah. And a really important marker for health is that when, you know, so like I shared pretty openly that like the Lord provides, um, I toss that one. I don't use that. I I, I I go a different way. But am I around people who might use that language with me? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm around, you know, like, uh, uh, I, I think that was said to me this weekend, you know, and, I want to get to a place of health where that doesn't shut me down, where I don't, like, I'm not, I don't need to be angry at that person for using words that don't work for me. What I need to be able to do is in that moment not react, but, you know, respond according to my values of, oh, wow, you know, I I see that differently, you know, but thank you so much. I hear you trying to, you know, encourage me that I'm strong. Mm-hmm. and uh, and And I can find common ground with that person and not shut down and not be a mean person and not try to define myself by what I'm not. But rather... I want to be able to get to a place where I'm not super overwhelmed whenever somebody uses a phrase that personally I would toss.
0: Yeah. That resiliency gets built up and it's just really helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool.
0: Well, I'd love to pray for us. Let's do it. If you would join me in prayer, whatever that looks like for you today. Jesus, I am just drawn toward leaving space to breathe right now. God, that praying and experiencing you can be intentionally done in spaces that are left open. So, would we just take a few moments here to breathe? God, when we are searching for the right words, would we be reminded that sometimes there are no right words, that instead silence and stillness and bringing our mind's attention to a person or a place or a space of gratitude, God, that all of these things are ways to commune with you. We thank you for the gift of language and we recognize how limited it can be. God, I thank you that you are with us in our full range of experiences, the full scope of how we navigate life. And in the conversations to come with those around us, God, would we be able to see for ourselves what feels hopeful and helpful, what feels meaningful and true, and drawing us closer to one another, closer to justice, and closer to who you are. And would we have patience for others who navigate that process a little bit differently than we do? Amen.